Thank you for listening to today's episode of Coffee's On. I'm Richard. And I'm Wesley. Welcome back to our final installment of this mini-series about Starbucks. In episode one, The Beginning, we talked about how Starbucks was founded and how they developed the modern American coffee shop. In episode two, The Rise, we talked about how Starbucks blew up in popularity due to their marketing strategies, drink experimentation, and expert use of emerging social media platforms. Today, we talk about the future of Starbucks. We're going to talk about some of their most recent exploits, the trends in marketing and business model that will carry Starbucks further into the 21st century, and what they're doing right now to prepare for new and emerging coffee trends. But first, we have to taste some coffee, and today's roast comes from the Starbucks Reserve Roastery in downtown Chicago on the Magnificent Mile. The store is located in what used to be a pretty famous crate and barrel with a curved escalator, but it is now a four-story Starbucks Reserve Roastery, which we'll talk about later in this episode. It's a single-origin coffee from Panama, which is the first Central American coffee we've had on this podcast. The farm it comes from is the Don Pepe Estate. Uh, which has been operated by Jose Humberto, who is the fourth-generation coffee farmer for this particular estate. And it is located in Buquet, which is on the far west side of the country, close to Costa Rica, um, in a very volcanic area as well. So I think that mm. informs a lot of the soil and probably a lot of the flavors of Definitely. the coffees that we're getting today. So, Wesley, what do you taste? Well, the, it's a very sweet-tasting coffee, actually. Uh, the first thing I get, obviously, is chocolate. Um, very, very common to have a chocolate flavor in Central American, Latin American coffee. I couldn't tell what the sweetness was at first. I want to lean maybe towards vanilla, um, maybe towards caramel, but it, it didn't have a bitterness to it. There, it, you know, obviously it has the acidity to it, like of regular coffee, but it gave way into this very like pleasant mouthfeel. It's not too drying, but I, I really liked the flavor. It had a natural sweetness to it almost. And that was, that was something I've actually never really had in coffee. Usually if I get sweetness, it's like an oat sweetness, mm -hmm. but this was like a more like pure sweetness type of flavor yeah absolutely so i got uh similar i got the cocoa straight away i think that was very much a part of the flavor profile sure. of this um i would say more cocoa than chocolate like if that makes sense okay. the differentiation it of could, like the yeah. cocoa flavoring as opposed to a sweet chocolate i could be saying chocolate too because to me chocolate is flavored with vanilla and i wonder if those two flavors are maybe mm -hmm. what's working together so cocoa this, and vanilla i got a bit of a honey sweetness okay and um like sweet nut i did get like a sweetness little from bit of that too and i couldn't flavor I, I kind of felt almost like an almond sweetness mm -hmm. of an yeah and then i also got some crisp citrus notes not like overwhelming just enough to make it light and bright because usually when you put like chocolate flavorings into something yeah. cocoa flavorings into something gets really heavy but this is still a really light yeah palette cup it's not yeah. like thick you know what i mean it's it's like a On nice the, medium and almost like i almost body. say that the its palate feel is almost like eating a really rich chocolate ice cream like a very dark chocolate ice cream it's got like i don't know how to describe it it has the same like taste in a way like aftertaste it's got the same kind of like drying effect that that mm -hmm. almost like sorbetto not necessarily ice cream yeah. but well, like really I, intense flavor yeah i also found that i got a bit of like earthy bitterness right at the very end 
or like on the tip of my tongue, okay. but like in a nice way, in a kind okay. of a well-rounded way sure. as well. I think this this is a fantastic cup. Oh, it's honestly amazing. probably one of my favorites absolutely. that we've had on this show. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, but I I agree. It overall was a very sweet cup of coffee. Oh yeah, which was really nice. I liked um, it because that I think that's what scares a lot of people about going to like straight black coffee is just the, like the acidity and the, the bitterness of it. Sure, um, but you can find coffees that don't have that, or at least have enough other flavors that kind of combat that initial like potential sting yeah. you know what i mean sure so it's, it's got yeah that's the thing and especially when we're going to things like this where it's single origin you know mm-hmm. the quality is definitely higher up on the list than if you're gonna buy you know just like a regular coffee blend at the grocery mm-hmm. store so here are the tasting notes from the descriptor on the bag uh and that is delicious notes of tangerine cocoa and praline Okay. Combined so, with the farm's heritage and methods, truly make this a cup to savor. So, praline makes sense. It's got that caramely taste to mm-hmm. it, but still that nutty sweetness yes. like you were talking about. And then tangerine. So there is a little bit of citrus there. Yeah, I, I, citrus. I wanted to lean onto orange more so than like, I you know, like an apple citrus even yeah like i was thinking of, almost like, like a, a honey apple, crisp yeah I, I but there was a bit of sourness to there it. was a little bit of like a that bright acidity too that comes with a tangerine or an mm-hmm. orange mm-hmm. type of fruit mm-hmm. so yeah. once again that was the panama blend or panama bouquet um not blend single origin uh from the starbucks reserve roastery in chicago now i don't know if this is something they have consistently, like year after year, I don't know if they have this at the other reserve roasteries throughout the world, which we'll talk right. about later. Um, but I believe you might be able to buy this online. Like you can probably order it from their website. It looks like if you buy online, they don't have the Panama. They have yeah, they don't have Ethiopia, Panama. Guatemala, Jamaican Blue Mountain, Vietnam, Costa Rica, Hawaii. Yeah. So they're probably, this is probably seasonal. a rotational or seasonal yeah, thing. Yeah. And there weren't so. very many of the, these left. And yeah, because I don't see it anywhere. Yeah. We else. found mostly the Vietnam and the Guatemalan, Guatemalan, the Ethiopian, and the Prince, Princey, 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 Princey coffee. And I think yes. that's in, I want to say that's in the other roasteries yeah is that brand because that's that's an italian brand that Mm -hmm. they've partnered with and then the Mm -hmm. jamaican blue mountain you could buy in bags you could also buy it at the there's like a bar you can buy whole beans yeah like with a where they scoop it up yeah and weigh it for you and weigh it anyway so yeah um so you might not be able to get this particular panamanian blend from them currently they might come back to it based on growing season down in panama it's very Um, good though if you can find it it's delicious And now I want more Panamanian coffee. Mm. Like now I want to try more stuff from that area or from Costa Rica, which Mm -hmm. is not far off. Wonderful. So that is our coffee of the day. And we are going to take a quick little break. And then when we come back, we're going to dive right into it. Perfect. Hello, listeners. Wesley here to talk to you a little bit about how you can support this show. For each episode of all of our podcasts here at Arcadia, we spend our own money on books, articles, and other materials so that we can bring you podcasts that are thoroughly researched and fact-checked. 
All of the hosts and producers of these shows also work full-time jobs in addition to the podcast so that we can support this passion we all share. If you'd like to support us at We're Getting a Dog, as well as the other podcasts in the Arcadia Podcast Network, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash we're getting a dog, or our website, we're getting a dog.com slash support. For as low as $2 per month, you can get access a day early to every new episode of We're Getting a Dog and other Arcadia Podcast Network shows, such as Coffee's On and Good Food for Bad Friends. And at higher levels, you can get one-of-a-kind swag. Thank you for supporting the Arcadia Podcast Network and for listening to this podcast. Now back to the show. So the first thing that we have to talk about with Starbucks currently and Starbucks into the future is their marketing and business strategy. So at the beginning of the 2010s, Starbucks made a goal of reaching 30,000 stores worldwide to match McDonald's in volume. Well, they achieved that by mid-2019, and though COVID-19 put a halt to new stores uh, opening in early 2020, they are now at nearly 33,000 stores worldwide compared to McDonald's over 39,000. So they are hot on the heels. Definitely. However, they have now surpassed McDonald's as the largest grossing restaurant company in the world with a yearly net of $24.1 billion compared to McDonald's $19.3 billion. That's insane. Yes. That's really incredible. So, needless to say, they are colossal, and we've talked a lot about how they got there, but what we want to explore in this episode is what they're doing now to keep themselves in continued success. So let's hear it from CEO of Starbucks, Kevin Johnson, at their biennial investor days conference. Now, this is actually earlier this year. This is a quote Mm. from earlier this year in January. So this is pretty recent. We are a purpose-driven company with a mission grounded in the human experience as we seek to have a positive impact on both people and the planet while profitably growing our business, said Johnson. Over the past two years, we have further streamlined the company, sharpened our focus on accelerating growth in our two lead markets of the U.S. and China, and expanded our global reach through the Global Coffee Alliance with Nestle, while increasing returns to all of our stakeholders. Looking ahead, coffee remains a very large and attractive market that is growing globally. We are focused on growing category share and believe Starbucks is better positioned than ever for continued success. So they are clearly not stopping, not slowing down. They are ready to surge forward, hoping to have opened 55,000 stores by 2030. So at the end of this decade, which is hard to believe that it's actually that soon. And a lot of this is due to their sound marketing techniques. Uh, First of which is consistent branding and consumer experience with great products. We talked about this a bit in the previous two episodes, but one thing that every franchise or multi-store company must retain is consistency with environment, with customer service, and most importantly, with product. This is probably most exemplified with the logo on their cups. We all know the siren in white with a green background, but in 2011, they actually dropped the words Starbucks from the cup to streamline the appearance of their product and, in a way, iconify them. The newer minimalist design has made it easier for Starbucks to be placed everywhere in a way that it never seems out of place, including episodes of Game of Thrones. (laughs) We all remember that, right? Right. Daenerys Targaryen with her little 
cappuccino in the background. So what this design and consistency means is that no matter where you go or where you are, if you see the logo, you would you know exactly what to expect from it. For many people, that consistency brings peace or relief because they know what they're getting into. As a traveler, myself, both nationally and internationally, I can tell you that seeing that familiar logo in Brooklyn or even Berlin sets me at ease even when I'm in a foreign place. That doesn't necessarily mean I go there, but it's like, it's a recognizable thing. Right. You know, it's just, it's a familiarity. It's like, oh, this place is still in touch with the rest of the world or is in touch with parts of the world that I'm more familiar with. I know that when we travel, it's kind of funny because we'll find like a local coffee house that mm -hmm. we'll usually camp out at and stuff. But I, on the sly, have always found another Starbucks that's near us because I'm like, sometimes I just want a Frappuccino if I'm in a different place. And so I got to find my Starbucks. Mm -hmm. But well, the other yeah. thing, too, is they do different uh, specialty drinks in different countries. Right, yeah. So it's always fun to see what they do in that country as well. In Germany, it was interesting because they had like different kinds of nitro that weren't available in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in their store. And I thought that was kind of cool. Which kind of speaks to what Germans like about Definitely. their Starbucks coffee sure. is this kind of nitro beer like yeah because we we went to a coffee. Starbucks the very last day like we were there to get a flight out yeah and I was kind of it was like yeah it was a Starbucks but they did have like some nice things yeah, they had like better food coffee. options yeah. that's for sure and a more traditional coffee like yeah espresso style yeah setup, it wasn't but... it wasn't so um it wasn't all specialty drinks mm -hmm. yeah yeah but for those that partake in Starbucks drinks with some consistency, this familiarity actually makes them more likely to go to a Starbucks than anywhere else or somewhere else. You know, like if they're in a foreign city and they're like, I just need a quick cup of coffee. Like right. instead of like trying to, you know, look up local coffee shops or figuring out what's good, they're just going to go to a Starbucks. They're going to find a Starbucks and be like, I know what's there. So that just means more business for the company, more consistent business. And the second marketing strategy is new locations. So they talked about this expanded reach of 30,000 to 55,000 by the end of the year. That's insane. Yeah, that's like that's a lot. Um, that's worldwide, correct? Yes, yes okay. worldwide. Um, and this goes a bit with consistency in branding and consumer experience. With new stores in more cities, neighborhoods, and countries, you increase awareness and brand loyalty. For those places that have never had access to a Starbucks, you get a whole new demographic of people who get to enjoy something that they've probably only heard or seen on social media or in film media like television and movies. Uh, this means bringing new customers into the fold, new relationships that can continue to grow and cultivate and of course create new loyalty from right so that's for people who have never had access to starbucks before and for those who have had access to starbucks but not quick access opening new stores just helps cement loyalty right if they've tasted a little bit you open more stores and they're like well now i can get it everywhere so yeah, that's where i'm gonna go it's convenient so i'm gonna think back and i'm sorry i apologize to those of you listening to this podcast who've never been to lincoln nebraska i know we talk about it a lot but that's where we grew up but i think about our hometown where in the late 90s and early 2000s starbucks was only available like in bards noble and i think at like the mall or something like that and i think one downtown location i think they had the one downtown location and this meant that starbucks was a bit of a destination it was something you had to plan to go to or stop at like while you were doing other things but you had to plan it uh it was not a quick drive-through or simple takeaway it was something you probably planted yourself at for a while uh or in the case of the mall you were planting yourself at the mall while you drank you know whatever drink you 
you were having. Right. So then came the first drive through or at least the first one I knew about uh, in the city, which was at 33rd and O, uh, which is not far from the house that I spent most of my childhood in. Um, and this meant easier access to many people. It was on the way to downtown or on the way to the university, which O Street is our main thoroughfare, one of our biggest thoroughfares in the city. Um, it's going an east, east to west, west street. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, actually, the longest main street in the country, really? I think still. Yeah. Interesting. Historically. Anyway, um, so yeah, it was an easy, it was set in a, in a place that had high traffic and an easy in and out way, right? You can swing in, get your Starbucks, keep going on the same path downtown for work or to the university or what have you. Um, and this meant they could serve more people more quickly as they moved through the space. And this gave them capital and justification to start opening more in the city. So when it comes down to it, more stores means more convenience. There's a reason we call little bodegas and gas stations convenience stores. It's because we can find them everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, in Chicago, it's hard to pass through a single neighborhood without passing a Starbucks, if not multiple Starbuckses, and you can oftentimes find them within a stone's throw of most CTA train stations for those needing uh, coffee on the go. So this just convenience, overall convenience, really mm -hmm. helps build loyalty. It does the marketing for them. People already know about Starbucks at this point, whether they had it before or didn't have it before. They already know about it, and getting one close by, it's just that natural intrigue of like, oh, there's a new place open. Let's go there. Sure. Right? And that, ooh, let's go there turns into, oh, let's go there again, turns into now we're going there once a week. Now we're going there several times a week, et cetera, et cetera. So it just builds that overall. And the next thing that we're going to talk about and i'm going to let wesley talk through this for a bit is loyalty customer loyalty with starbucks and how they've really built on that so i've talked a little bit about their marketing strategies and their actual like financial plans for the future in terms of what they want to build but wesley's going to talk about how they're creating a future through starbucks loyalty so wesley definitely well, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Starbucks app. So the Starbucks app is now ubiquitous to those of us who are regular customers at Starbucks. However, we have to remember a time when we didn't all have big screen smartphones in our pockets. The first Starbucks app didn't actually have payment capabilities that we think of now like Apple Pay. That wasn't launched until 2014 with the iPhone 6. Starbucks' first app was originally called the My Starbucks app. It was only used to locate stores, see nutritional and promotional information, as well as having a build-your-own-drink feature. However, it was not a mobile order feature. It was just, like, something you could do on the app. Uh, Starbucks had a separate app that included a payment method that was inspired none other than the other ubiquitous retail business in America, which is Target. So Starbucks and Target partnered in the early 2000 or in the late 2000s and starbucks started popping up in targets you know all over the all over the country so that's why we see them in target yes okay and target uses barcodes to do their gift cards they don't use like magnetic strips on them anymore like a lot of places still do and starbucks saw them doing that and like modified their own technology to allow people to upload scannable gift cards to their phone and you could reload them that way you could keep like a number attached to, to an account you could just reload it to there on the app scan it in the store or at target and be on your way so it's all about convenience 
And then there was the advent of uh, accruing stars, which was where like, this is the loyalty feature. So however many times you go into Starbucks, you would get stars for your purchase. And sometimes they'd run. They still do this. They'll run promotions like order this drink three times in a week and you'll get like 50 extra stars or something like that. And that really propelled the usage of the app people wanting to save their gift cards as a way to accrue points because you could use the gift card itself too mm-hmm. um because that just has the same number so it was attached to the account yep almost yeah, so like a credit card almost like a credit card but wow. it's just a gift card like wow. that you can keep and reload if you register it and upload it to the app so yeah and i i use that whenever i go to starbucks too so that was the basic thing. And eventually those two apps merged into one where it wasn't the, there were two separate ones at first. It was like Starbucks pay. And then my Starbucks, the other app with like the pictures and everything, those became one app eventually into what we now just called the Starbucks app. So, yeah. So originally it's a little funny cause it was like two completely separate platforms uh, you couldn't use like, you know, your phone to pay for things like you can now, like, it's just, you know, technology wasn't quite there yet, but like you've been saying, Richard, it all had to kind of be out of this concept of convenience. So among the first mobile phones, iPhones, of course, were the first, but of course, Apple's always going to be on top of that. Um, but one of the first mobile phones to utilize the original Starbucks app as a payment method was BlackBerry. So in the late 2000s and early 2010s, BlackBerry is made up. I kind of couldn't believe this when I saw it. Almost 50% of the mobile phone market in the United States were BlackBerry wow. phones. Like, I, mean, I knew they were popular at that time. I know but I had one, but I felt like I was one of the only people. I think I knew you were that one of the one. only people in our age range that had one because okay. they were usually issued to office workers by yes. companies because yeah. it was like you could get email, you could program different anything you wanted into it. Like, it was mm-hmm. kind of like the Palm Pilot with a phone was yeah. kind of, I think, like the concept of the Blackberry. Yeah. I'm not saying that's like the creator's concept, but that's what I always thought it was. I was like, yeah. oh, it's like. A, like a personal planner, electronic planner. What, what were those things called? PDAs? No, that's not right. <laughs> that's public yeah. displays of affection. Um, I know what you're talking but about. But yeah, it's like those that finally was merged with a phone. Mm-hmm. And it was like this all-in-one. But either yeah. way, Starbucks was very quick to realize that the workforce were also mostly using Blackberries. As they would usually go through Starbucks to get their morning coffee. Starbucks was like, why not have them pay with their Blackberry? So Starbucks like hit this massive untapped market and then a lot of other companies according to the source article were quote bringing their apps to android after launching on the iphone end quote first so basically a lot of companies were like no we're just going to do android but black a lot of people had blackberries and Mm. you know why not be able to use your phone to pay and you don't have to get out your wallet and you know what a concept at that time Eventually, like I said, Starbucks combined the apps into one centralized payment and ordering system app and launched mobile ordering in 2015. The employees who were laid off from Starbucks that developed the now defunct original apps, mostly the payment apps, went on to create a startup that created the mobile payment and ordering systems for other large businesses, namely Dunkin' Donuts. So Dunkin' Donuts system is nearly identical to Starbucks. You get a little barcode, you scan it to pay, you can order on the app. And, you know, it's pretty, pretty seamless. And mm-hmm. I use it if I'm because there's a lot of Dunkin Donuts at the C, in the CTA stations here, mm-hmm. listeners. So I always get Dunkin if I'm in a rush. But 
it's very similar. So you can it, you can kind of tell it's like when I read that I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Those developers left Starbucks and went straight to Dunkin' Donuts. So wow. yeah, and it's you know Starbucks app is probably now one of the most perfected apps around. Its design is truly like flawless to me. It's seamless in how it handles both payment in store when you just need to scan and for mobile ordering for reloading your card like. All of it is just so well put together. Mobile ordering is definitely the easiest way now to order from Starbucks. And I know for myself, I utilize it a lot when I'm getting off the train downtown. It's easy to just like order my stuff, whatever I want on the train. If I'm a couple stops away, get into like slip into the Starbucks and then just get to work. Like Mm -hmm. it's already ready. Mm -hmm. They know it's me because I've been there a million times before. It's just... Yeah, it's truly it's truly like a a convenience that uh, you would never have anticipated maybe 20 years ago thinking about going to Starbucks and ordering your coffee. It's so streamlined now. And as far as uh, the stars are concerned, there's those are still there. You accrue stars always. Uh, The star redemptions, though, don't aren't just like drinks anymore. They used to just be for drinks. Now you can get drinks, you can get food items and you can get merchandise now as well as coffee beans. As far as my own usage of stars, I let them add up and I buy a bag of beans. That's usually what I use my stars for. Because, you know, why not? It's like a $13, you know, bag of coffee beans. And if it's free, if I, you know, I order Starbucks, I'm off. So, like, yeah, it's definitely been, it's it's a great system that the company has totally perfected for themselves. And, yeah, I use it. I, I know a lot of people that use it, so... Well, the other thing, too, is I don't know if you looked into much of this, but there's been a lot of talk or a lot of articles um, that I haven't personally done a huge deep dive on about how this has actually become a bank, almost a mobile bank or mobile cash yeah, uh, I, I, for I, Starbucks to be able to use because the essentially because you are loading money into the system, so you are giving Starbucks that money to spend at Starbucks. But like a bank, you know, when you put your money in, they use that for other things. You know, you put your money in a bank, they are able to loan it out to someone else who needs it, and then they give you back that money. You know, that they get from a you know kind of a thing. It's like sure. a transitional. Well, thing. yeah, I mean, the thing is, is you're not you're not paying a franchise directly when mm-hmm. you're. Or a storefront directly when you're doing it that way. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are of what a Starbucks makes on mobile ordering. I'm sure it might be different from maybe standing and waiting and ordering in front. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that Starbucks takes a cut of everything, you know, because it's the company. But yeah. at the same time, it does make sense that this is a massive cash infusion mm-hmm. for the company. Because, yeah, like you've said, we've all committed the money to mm-hmm. buying products that we can only buy, buy at that point in yeah. a Starbucks. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that I saw come up in articles was that there was sort of like a fear around, you know, using cards with the app. I guess at one point the, the app was breached, but that was mm-hmm. like, God, like seven or eight years ago now. Yeah. And, you know, it still gets brought up in modern articles because there's always a pessim- a pessimistic journalist that is trying to find a flaw, mm-hmm. you know, in or, or be, you know, truly maybe be fair. But at the same time, I think it's, you know, it's definitely streamlined this kind of system for other companies. And, you know, they should have patented it. 
Yeah. <laughs> they kind of... They should. Maybe they... Yeah. But I, I do see what you mean, though. I, I saw a little bit of those articles, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't... Um, I know just for myself, I didn't want to have the overarching theme be like, let's all give Starbucks our money. Yeah, it, Starbucks it is, is extremely holding on to your money. Starbucks though. is a bank now. But the thing is, thing. is you can choose yeah. how much you give. Yeah. And, you know, I know for myself, you can you can load gift cards onto your balance as well. So it's not like you have to put up your own money. You can always use gift cards, too. And it's just like mm-hmm. all made to be convenient for you, the consumer. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's... It it is really an incredible program. I haven't used it myself. I've seen it being used, but I know how much it really creates a sense of of loyalty to the brand. Oh yeah, because of the convenience factor. It really just like once you make it easier for people, they're just going to go back to that time and time again. Yeah, and I don't mean that in any kind of negative sense towards that. That's just. You know, it's going to the same grocery store because it's right there. You know where the aisles are. You know what's in the aisles. You know what to expect. You know what the prices are typically going to be. It's, mm-hmm. You you know what's going to happen. Not only that, but it's made to be convenient in a way where it can find a Starbucks that's, like, really close to you. And you can make your order that way. And it's, you know, it's not in any way difficult to operate as an mm-hmm. app at all. It, yeah, I don't know. It's... Yeah, I use it a ton. Yeah. Well, even thinking about the idea of mobile ordering and how that is really picked up, you know, ordering ahead to just, pick, mm-hmm. you know, go in, pick up your thing. So when you're thinking about like rush hour, you know, stuff, uh, you know, getting to work and commuting where you're like, oh, I don't know if, if I have time, you know, to go and stop and pick mm-hmm. up this drink and right. all that kind of stuff. But I need coffee before I get to work, et cetera, et cetera. Now that that worry is essentially taken out of the equation because right. you can just order it ahead of time, pop in, grab it, and then go. Right. So that must have been when that initially launched for Starbucks and now for tons of other restaurants, like that must have been a huge thing for a lot of people. It, it, was, it, was, their it was a mess, actually, at well, first. When it yeah. first launched, a lot of stores were saying that they were getting overwhelmed yeah, by oh, I'm sure. mobile order and it's you I, I mean the app is a little bit better about it now it tells you if there's a long wait time it tells mm-hmm. you if, if it's like your order's probably not going to be ready for this much longer we can't guarantee it and they're also i think to people using the app should have the common sense to know okay there may be only be so many baristas on at this time yeah. it's possible that my drink won't be like ready and waiting but you know in an ideal system and the way it usually works, yes, it is mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So, so, and I, I'm like I said, I, it probably took some time to get there, obviously, but yeah, I, I but think the implementation of it, I think, was a huge thing. Seven for a lot years of down the line, now it's very much its mm-hmm. own. Like, just it's 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 so well done now. So, mm-hmm. at least from a consumer's perspective. So. Yes. So the next big thing that we have to talk about with the future of Starbucks and something they've been working on, I think, very solidly in the last at least five years, probably a little bit earlier than that or definitely earlier than that, but especially in the last like five years, they've really been honing in on this, is their implementation of social responsibility. So this is not an a necessarily a way of making money, but a way of becoming a better company. Sure. And this is where I feel like a lot of companies are have to go or mm-hmm. you know I, I hope are going because they're realizing in order to for people to still like us we actually have to be better people 
um, and give more back to communities, back mm-hmm. to, you know, wherever that might be. But this has been an ongoing process that really started in 2008 uh, after the financial crisis when then CEO Howard Schultz, who also came back, he left and then came back, mm-hmm. um, released his transformation agenda communication number three, very famous, like communication that came out from him after the whole decline they were closing a bunch of stores because of the financial crisis etc cetera, etc cetera. but it was a bit of a uh, come to jesus moment for the company uh, but it aligned what their expectations were it acknowledged their challenges and it set a pathway forward for success or as schultz ends the message onward and literally just says onward i think that's also the name of his how i did it book kind of a thing ah you know, um, but in the agenda, he details some key pieces that are integral to making the company strive. Uh, one of these pieces is with community investment. And we've talked about how this happens with partner programs, but it goes a lot further. Uh, so some of the changes and additions included uh, creating community stores at work directly with local nonprofits, both providing resources and a space to gather, as well as donating anywhere from five cents to 15 cents per transaction to said local partners. And if you think about how many transactions they're sure, getting in a yeah. day, if it's, that, a, if it's, if it's, that's a good a, If it's a peak season, that's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another focus was in hiring and promotion standards with a major focus on diversity and inclusion in their hiring and training practices, as well as a as career pathways. So not just hiring in, you know, diverse groups, um, but actually training them up, you know, moving them up into sure. upper management, stuff like that. Um, specifically, this included a pledge to hire 10,000 veteran and military members by 2018. I didn't find any information on whether or not they accomplished that goal, but they set the goal. And another one is with the development of the Starbucks Foundation, um, where they also strive to provide training for youth and their communities. Right. So it's a lot of giving back stuff. A second focus in this transformation agenda was ethical sourcing and environmental protection. Starbucks has said before that the planet is their most important business partner. And this shows in their coffee sourcing and farmer relationships. Uh, Starbucks thankfully recognizes that if they don't make an effort in environmental sustainability, they too will go out of business. Yeah. Right. Pretty they, much. They realize, yeah. oh, we need to help. We need to be a part of this solution. Not that I don't think they ever didn't think they were, but no, I they never, just they realized they know, have to. Throughout give the research of more. these three episodes, I've never caught the drift that they were ever purposefully uneconomical or yes. not. You know, they never were shady about being a green company. You mm-hmm. know, I definitely think they've always known that the there has to be sustainability for their product to mm-hmm. be consumed they really recognize that they have a duty to participate in cultivating better environmental practices which is really huge for a billion dollar company to acknowledge that. definitely for a billion dollar restaurant company i should add to say like we need to be a lot better about where we're sourcing all of this and now a lot of this comes from ethical sourcing and fair trade practices uh buying coffee from farmers that not only treat their employees fairly but treat the earth responsibly um they don't over farm use excess water or create excess waste and don't destroy natural habitats in order to expand their operations so with that i actually want to read you a blurb from the coffee that we got for today the panamanian um bouquet roast um about 
how they actually process their stuff. And this is these are the kind of people that Starbucks tries to find to grow their beans. Sure. So the blurb goes like this. Uh, the town of Bouquet was founded more than 100 years ago when coffee farming was introduced to the region. Four generations later, Jose Humberto, the great-grandson of one of Bouquet's first coffee farmers, continues the family tradition of producing high-quality coffee beans at the Don Pepe estate. The beans are milled on-site using eco-pulpers, which use significantly less water than traditional ones. Recycled water is also used to irrigate grass, and all the coffee pulp is used as fertilizer on the farm. Okay. Right? So sure. it's a huge sustainability. Right. Like, it's, it's uh, nothing goes to waste kind of yeah. thing. The water that they use to process the beans they use to grow the beans sure. you know they use the the gray water as it's called mm. they recycle it into usable water all of the pulp that comes from the whole of the coffee cherry they use as fertilizer like that's an incredible operation yeah right definitely. and these are the kind of farmers that they source their stuff from mm-hmm. now this is very specific to this particular you know panamanian roast um the single origin roast but this is what they look for this is the kind of people that they want to do business with you know they find these partnerships and they set these standards like starbucks is the one saying like if you don't do this we're not going to partner with you sure. you know people can lose contracts if they're not being responsible mm-hmm. and say and they'll just say like well we'll find someone else yeah unless you want to change kind of a thing but their environmentalism is more than just, you know, uh, the onus of their farmers and suppliers. You know, it's more than just putting it on them. It's also on Starbucks to change how they're operating internally. Um, this all came down to five major strategies they're hoping to implement by 2030. So another big jump by 2030. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that they want to cut their footprint in half by Mm. 2030 um and these strategies include expanding plant-based menu options so not i don't it didn't specifically say removing um animal-based ones but Mm -hmm. just trying to use more plant-based ones sure um shifting away from single use to reusable packaging investing in regenerative agriculture reforestation forest conservation and water replenishment in their supply chain so not with the farming but getting the beans after they've been processed at the farms mm-hmm. to the roasting facilities to the starbucks themselves mm-hmm. right in you know offsetting their carbon footprint as much as they can number four is working on better ways to manage waste i mean that's always a big one and the last one is innovating with more responsible stores operations manufacturing and delivery so just creating more economical and more efficient uh, yeah. stores stuff like that using uh lead certified factories and manufacturing plants and things like that uh to make sure that you know they're just they're doing what they should and they're mm-hmm. not using any more than they need to right so that's a huge thing for starbucks mm-hmm. i really think that the kind of environmental social aspects that they're trying to really go towards is something that is kind of a like you know sigh of relief kind of a thing it's like thank god someone is doing it thank god someone in business is is seeing that you know we're not doing it because the government says we have to we're not doing it because you know people will protest if we don't we we know we have to do it sure in order to in order to keep being a business we have to be here because if the planet isn't here we're not here yeah so yeah that's a one other huge one another thing that they do one of the last few things we'll talk about for mm-hmm. this episode is how they not just treat the environment and their suppliers, but how they treat their employees. Yes. 
So I looked into what their employee programs are, and I was actually really impressed with what they offer. For their full-time employees, and in some cases their part-time employees, the benefits can include health care, stock and retirement and savings, PTO, and even sick PTO in some states or municipalities, parental leave and surrogacy cost benefits, commuter benefits, partner assistance in times of personal crisis, and the last one, which was probably the most impressive, was 100% tuition reimbursement through Arizona State University's online program uh, for qualifying employees. That's a major opportunity for Mm -hmm. someone who wants to probably forward their career, at least in business. I wonder if when it says qualifying employees, it means like specific majors or areas of study that Mm -hmm. are covered. But either way, for someone who's wanting to turn their life around in some way, it it, it can be as easy as getting a full-time job at Starbucks and Mm then working your way up enough and to be, qualify for this program i was just really thoroughly impressed with Mm -hmm. you know they do have an interest in their workers they want to make sure that they are at least being taken care of on the levels of you know health care regular personal care but also opportunity because to me and you just mentioned earlier too the whole idea of hiring people with the with career paths Mm -hmm. like kind of in front of them with the company rather than just hiring them to be a barista not to say that that's a bad thing if you want to be a barista there but it is an interesting notion to see a big company that's like hey we want to hire people that are not just like everyone else and we want to invest in their future Mm -hmm. and that's really what it is they want their employees to strive not just survive exactly and that what that does for the company is builds retention sure right employee retention which we all know especially during covid times people are like you're not offering me exactly what i want all right i'm gone right you know that's not to say that this is a perfect system mm -hmm. because we don't know that but at the same time it it's more than a lot of other multi-billion dollar companies may offer Mm -hmm. for their sometimes part-time employees yeah and you can't grow a company if people don't want to work for you right Right. So you have to create a culture of opportunity and and success. I think this day and age, too, consumers are becoming much more aware of the companies they get their products from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Amazon has really changed that perspective of, you know, how can we go somewhere that how can we go to a corporate business that we can respect? And I think Starbucks recognizes that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are some of the major things that Starbucks are are doing to right. really propel themselves into the future right they're setting ambitious goals they're being more environmentally sustainable and having you know better fair trade practices and very being very concrete about and very transparent about what they're doing to yeah. be better for the environment they're creating a better workspace for their employees they're creating a better place for customers they're building better loyalty with customers they're making everything they do more convenient more accessible, et cetera, et cetera. So this is what's going to propel them into the future. So 
what might that future look like? And this is one of the last things we want to talk about, and that is the Starbucks Reserve Roasteries. So we mentioned this earlier. This is where we got our coffee from. But what are these? (laughs) What are these big things that we we mentioned earlier? And why do they seem kind of like a potential future for Starbucks to go into? So these roasteries are, in essence, independent of all other Starbucks stores. They are designed separately from standard Starbucks stores. Their drink and food menus are all separate from Starbucks. Their merchandise is separate. Their uh, website is separate. And most importantly, there is no Starbucks logo anywhere in the roastery not the siren logo not the siren logo um so what are these designed for um well the excerpt from the website uh which is starbucks roastery uh dot com or maybe starbucks reserve sorry starbucks reserve.com says that starbucks reserve is a selection of the rarest most extraordinary coffees starbucks has to offer it's where we push our own boundaries to of craft developing a unique roast for each individual lot before experimenting with coffee as an art form brewing aging infusing and blending it into imaginative and often surprising creations through our roasteries and bars we share our discoveries and the enjoyment of exceptional coffee with the world um so what can you expect that's a little you know ethereal on what they're describing what they do so what can you actually expect when you go into a roastery well at least the one in chicago is essentially a back-to-basics italian modeled coffee shop it's they don't do any flavoring they don't have any syrup based drinks you know you can't go in there and get a caramel macchiato you can't go in there and get a pink drink or a nitro uh uh coffee or anything like that nitro cold brew uh, nothing is iced nothing is blended it's all pour over coffee and standard espresso drinks that's it like cortados cappuccinos and lattes uh, they also serve italian pastries and finger foods like small sandwiches and bruschettas and the top floor or at least the one in chicago is where a bar is um, where they used coffee and tea infused liqueurs to craft specialty cocktails they also sell reserve roastery merchandise and coffee making products and of course whole coffee beans from some of their finest and rarest coffees uh, starbucks has access to including this panamanian single origin that we used for today's episode wesley the one thing i was also going to say they do have uh fruit drinks there too they make uh limonadas which are kind of like traditional yes. italian soda drinks yes i saw them making those and th- it's interesting too because they do have like craft drink things there but it's not what you would think of as far as a regular starbucks like we're thinking there is a big misconception that it's like a big glorified giant starbucks and it is not that it is glory perfect yeah it's amazing but it is really its own thing Mm -hmm. and i you know going there then some of the notes i took were really just about how this is kind of a it's almost like a monument made to coffee not necessarily Mm -hmm. a uh just like a store not to starbucks it's it's to the art form of coffee like it's everything the company you know i think loves about coffee Mm -hmm. and they've poured that into a concept of a of a storefront and it's just it's really cool i i really was impressed with just how thought out and you know different it was Mm -hmm. from anything i'd ever seen before as far as a coffee shop yeah and their food is imported as well their pastries and the bread italian um, it's uh rocco princey 
who has been making bread in Italy since 1985. Mm. So this is imported from them. So it is very back to basics, very like this is what coffee shop mm-hmm. culture is. This is how they saw it, how, um, right. who is it? The one guy who went to Milan saw it and said, this is what I want to create in America. Sure. Right? So it's very much back to that kind of Italian style. Yeah. And it's also, uh, it's also like an open concept. So you can mm-hmm. see everything being made. And yes. I think that really adds on to the idea of going to a cafe, seeing how a barista makes your mm-hmm. drink, seeing how they prepare the food for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's almost, it's a very European concept as opposed to what we, we get in America where everything's like brick and mortar drive throughs mm-hmm. so. And I, <laughs> I think also it becomes a bit of an edu- educational experience. Absolutely. That's what it was es- built for. Especially too. for a lot of people who probably have a lot of that drink Starbucks consistently, but don't like kind of know the origins mm-hmm. or know how it got there. You yeah. know, they don't know like, oh, what's the basics that it had to come from and i think they're trying to show that it's like i remember when what it is this is what how mm -hmm. it started i remember when the press talked about them building it because it was under construction for like two years yeah like it it was a a long time and i remember reading about they really highlighted it as an educational venture for Mm -hmm. the company almost more so than a cons- like a consuming feature as far as like food and beverage it was almost like we want to build a place where people can learn about coffee more mm-hmm. so than just drink it or mm-hmm. have a sandwich you know it is back to basics like you're saying but it's also very heightened at the same time and mm-hmm. i just, i thought it was really cool you know i it made me respect starbucks in a way that i think i wouldn't have thought i could previously does that make sense yeah I will say I I agree with you on like the idea of what they created. Sure. And I think the execution was done very well. Yeah. I think the placement of the store was kind of odd. Like I understand why they put it on the Mag Mile, like it's our biggest tourist area in Chicago, right? That Well, it's loop. also it's also a historical area yeah. now too. It's not like that's a new venture in the city yeah, of Chicago. It's been around a long I, time. I don't know. I feel like People weren't going there because they wanted to appreciate that side of coffee and Starbucks history. I felt like they were, they were, I kind of felt like some of the people were there because it was like, you know, the M&M store in Times Square. Like they go there because it's a draw. Well, I mean, that could play to Starbucks advantage though. And it could bring people in who may not know that they were interested in what they were seeing until they saw it. Yeah. And I mean, there's, I don't think there's any shame to going to novelty stores in any way. But for me, I definitely think that we went in with a bias, the opinion of coming there, going there to learn Mm -hmm. rather than take things in as a spectacle. Yeah. Because there's definitely the level of spectacle to it as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a four floor and i think a it has top a rooftop terrace too it's also yeah, but like, it's january or it was january when we went so it yeah. was it was like dead of winter just yeah. out so so it's it's a spectacle right Definitely. it's if you have the wherewithal listeners to do so i would look up pictures of it it is the biggest of all the roasteries i believe it's yeah. pretty massive it's incredible it's the the old crate and barrel store that it was built into was something i remember going to that store yeah when i first visited chicago mm-hmm. it's it's a really impressive store yeah um but anyway there are six 
reserve roasteries in the world. Um, New York, Chicago, Seattle, of course, Shanghai, Tokyo, and one in Milan, the birthplace of espresso, which I thought was pretty incredible that they went back to Milan and said, we're building this giant thing here. That is a love letter to coffee. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think these reserve roasteries are definitely a, a show of, you know, just their total love of the product of the you know, concept of what it can do for communities, of what mm-hmm. it can do for people, what it does for people. I mean, everything about it is just poured in, like I said. Mm-hmm. So. And they did have little bits and pieces of history of the company mm-hmm. placed throughout the store. Um like, especially on the walls, as you were kind of going up the levels, they had like little timelines and things like that. So there were moments where you could learn about the company yeah. as a whole, how it got to here. So the reason I talk about or that we talk about these reserve roasteries as the future is because I'm kind of curious to see how Starbucks expands on this. Do they open more roasteries and leave them as a separate thing? Do they incorporate this into their standard stores? Mm -hmm. Do they create like as many roastery stores as they have regular stores? Like where, where are they headed with coffee specifically? That's what I'm curious about. And I feel like the reserve roasteries are going to remain as they are. They're going to remain a specialty coffee store Mm -hmm. where specialty coffee experience. Yeah. Whereas Starbucks, you know, Starbucks will never change what we know Mm -hmm. as Starbucks. And I don't, I just, I don't see them implementing the two because I feel like the way they've designed it and branded it is Mm -hmm. just so separate. Yeah. I don't think so either. Um, I'm just curious to see how much they expand their roasteries. Right. To, you know, show people in places that are not these six cities um, what they can do. Yeah. And what they know how to do and what they're good at doing. Um, I'm also really excited to see them expand upon their single origin roasts. Yes. I think coming, so I've talked about it before. I usually always talk about it in every episode is the third wave of coffee. Mm-hmm. And this whole back to the coffee production is very much a part of the third wave of coffee in the world. And single origin coffee roasting, specialty coffee drinks, or focusing on just like the the quality of the espresso and the milk together in a cup kind of a thing is very much a part of the third wave coffee scene. And for a while, Starbucks was pretty late to that game overall, like compared to you were seeing third wave, mostly from independent stores, companies, things like that, um, smaller scale production. And now Starbucks is really kind of jumping into it. Sure. Um, I mean, I, they've probably do, been doing it for a bit, like, you know, with the uh, ethical and fair trade sourcing and things like yeah. that. But this really, like, detailed consumer level production is something that they're kind of new to. So I'm interested to see how much they progress into that. Sure. And I really, I mean, this Panamanian roast was fantastic. I, like, I want to see them do more stuff like this. Yeah, I'm definitely. really excited for more, more of that. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, that is all of Starbucks. All of Starbucks. Yeah. Wow. Three episodes all about Starbucks. I'm sure there's still many other things that we can cover with them. We'll mm-hmm. probably have to tack on extended episodes further down the line. But Maybe that we'll have is, like revisited or something yeah, like that. But yeah. that is Starbucks from the beginning, the rise, and the future. Before we go, we do need to give you a fun fact about this episode and pick 
a theme for next episode because we have done three in a row about the same thing. It was planned out, but the next one is going to be drawn out of a cup. Yes. Back to our usual formula. But before we do that, Wesley, what is our fun fact? Our fun fact this week is that Richard has never actually had a pumpkin spice latte from Starbucks. I have not. I've had one from the first coffee house that I worked at, uh, Scooters. And, and I argued and said, no, that's not, you can't say you've had it well, if you it, haven't yeah, had it from Starbucks. I know, I'm sure it, it doesn't count. So, But yeah, I've never actually had one from Starbucks. Well, now we have to wait until September to get you one. Absolutely. So what is our next episode going to be about, Richard? Pick the papers out of the cup. And let's see what we're doing. It's, it's a, a pretty cup. I thank like you. I got it at the. I got it at the very top of the Rocky Mountain. It's Rocky Mountain Pikes National Peak. Park. Pikes Peak. That's yes. what it is. Oh, flavor profiles and coffee. Yay! So, so that will be fun. So that'll be interesting. We'll talk probably a little bit about just like all the different things that you can taste in a coffee, mm-hmm. and you know. The and wheel why. we reference, why? Yeah, yeah. definitely. That'll be we've an been referencing one. this coffee wheel mm-hmm. for a, since the entire we started, show, and we haven't really explained what it is or how it came to be. Yeah, it'll so, be. This will be an interesting one to research too. I think feel like this will be a lot of science and mm-hmm. things like that. Flora so. and fauna, definitely kind of. Well, not fauna. Well, but maybe, maybe fauna. I mean, well, civets, with the civets, civets yeah. poop the beans. That exactly. could be that's fauna. That's that's fauna. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna leave you with that. So uh, thanks so much for listening to us on Coffee's On, and uh, we'll see you next time. This podcast is written and produced by Richard Isolafel and Wesley Van Heusen and is a part of the Arcadia Podcast Network. Check out our Instagram at Coffees on Podcast to see the different coffees we try with each episode. Thank you for listening. See you next time on Coffees on 